Hello, you are listening to Delta Dispatches. We're discussing Louisiana's coast, its people, wildlife, and jobs, and why restoring it matters. I'm Jacques Hebert with Audubon, Louisiana. Malaz with Restore or Retreat. Simone, you are not in studio. Where are you calling in from? I'm on location from the campus of Nichols State University in Thibodeau, Louisiana. I am not late for this show. You're not late, but you wanted to give a super shout out to Thibodeau and Nichols, right? I did. I did. We have an event here tonight with the two different chambers and the governor is speaking. So uh, we wanted to be here in the Bayou region tonight. Well, I think, you know, seeing the governor and being in your home turf is a good reason to uh, not be in studio. So you're excused. Just to be clear, I am not late. (laughs) You're not. Well, I'm so excited uh, to talk about uh, what we're talking about today and have the guests that we've had on. I mean, we are always talking about the ways that Louisiana is innovating in terms of its coastal, addressing its coastal issues, um, how we're at the forefront of so many, um, you know, different policies. uh, And, you know, that includes legal policies and precedents. So um, I'm sad to say this is our first time having these guests on the show. Uh, Mark was telling me before that he's an avid listener, but first time guest, and certainly we're only going to scratch the surface today. So they'll have to come back on soon. Um, I'm so excited to introduce Mark Davis, Director of Tulane Institute on Water Resources Law and Policy, as well as Director for Tulane's Bywater Institute, as well as Chris Dalbum, uh, Assistant Director and Research Fellow at Tulane Institute on Water Resources Law and Policy. Welcome to the show, guys. Thanks for having us. Thank you very much. So let's just dive right in. Um, I know you both have extensive experience working in Louisiana on, on legal issues as it relates to, to the coast. Um, tell us a little bit about your background. Uh, let's start with Mark. Well, like most people here, I started off as an accountant and a tax lawyer and then fell in with a rough crowd that led me <laughs> <laughs> into the coastal stuff, um, which you know was, I guess, 1991 I started doing this and I had no idea where it would lead and for the most part I started by asking questions about what was going on around me and people kept saying well you need to talk to this person then you need to be part of this and sooner or later you end up you know I think unavoidably getting you know your hands pretty wet yeah so you got you got bit by the coastal bug and then the rest is history but you were also executive director of coalition restore coastal louisiana one of our partner organizations for 13 years that's true and i was also general counsel at the lake pontchartrain basin foundation for a short (laughs) while and uh you know i'll probably work for audubon before this is all over but uh yeah that's exactly right and um you know the entire idea is just you know looking for places you can make a difference and that's something i think everybody can do whether it's what you do professionally or what you do with your spare time or how you try to convince your family think things around them are are important yeah and i mean obviously the coast itself has changed so much in that time but i mean are there other big changes or things that you've kind of seen in in your career that you know either you know maybe make you hopeful maybe are concerning i mean what looking back from when you were first bit by that coastal bug to now well, we're a lot farther along in the planning, and I think that, uh, you know, in many ways, I think you know, the news continues to be bad, you know, but that's really, uh, that's all hardwired into this. I think uh, the, the way we're responding to it is what gives me some hope, um, and, you know, we got problems trying to figure out where the money is, how to balance one user group against another, where you find you know, the, the will to do things. But the fact of them is we're not, we're not struggling with the same problems we were you know, five or ten years ago. 
And this is like you know running a hurdles race. You clear one hurdle, it doesn't mean it's a sprint the rest of the way. So I, I think most of the things that we're working on now are, in fact, evidence of us making progress. That's great. And Chris, um, I mean, were you similarly bit by the coastal bug when you were in law school? Or, you know, what kind of drove you to work um, both in environmental law and also specifically on uh, coastal Louisiana? Yeah, I was. No, I, I've done nothing with taxes whatsoever. But um, <laughs> we, I, we have that in mind for him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was a I was a geographer and uh, I was attracted to geography because it was this kind of at an academic level, this wide open field where you could ask really complicated type questions and, and then spend uh, immense amount of times coming up with answers that didn't fully uh, answer it. Uh, so naturally, I was drawn to the Louisiana's coast. Um, I, uh, I went to LSU for grad school, and uh, the first time that uh, I went down to uh, Lomcon down in Cocodry, I saw Rosie at Spoonbills, and I was hooked. Uh, from that moment on, um, I left for a while. I was in the Peace Corps. Uh, I lived in Virginia, um, and then uh, I ended up going to law school uh, with the intention of uh, of practicing uh, in environmental law. That's Jacques' favorite bird, so it's no wonder that you got hooked. It's my favorite bird too. <laughs> I was going to say, Simone, see the power of birds to inspire. You know? Uh huh. The Don flamingo. I get it. I get it. <laughs> So, guys, tell us a little bit about the Institute, kind of your mission and the work you all do. Well, we were created um, in 2007, and really around the, uh, the realization that, uh, you know, good engineering, good advocacy, uh, good science, and all those things need help from good law and good policy. And Tulane came to the same realization. Keep in mind, this is on the heels of Katrina, where Tulane took it on the chin. They didn't know if any teachers or students were coming back. Uh, it was a real, you know, you know look at mortality. Mm-hmm. And so I think for them, it was like, well, maybe we should play a more you know, constructive role and not just sit back and do commentary. Maybe there are ways that we can be a constructive you know, uh, force in this. And that's when you know, they decided to set up the Institute on Water Resources Law and Policy, which you know, I started, I was a first... I've been running since 2007. But I think that's, you know, the key is that, you know, our job is to, you know, uh, look for ways of helping people understand, you know, how the legal and policy architecture affects what we can and can't do, and also how you know how to change them. I mean, laws weren't just handed down from mountaintops. They all came from someplace. They can all be changed. Policy is the same way. So if we're going to save this coast... It's going to take a combination of things, and law and policy is one of them. I'd hate to see lawyers do this without scientists and engineers and some pretty good-hearted citizens, but I don't think it's possible to do without them either. Yeah, and I mean, Simone and I talk often about, you know, and speaking to folks like yourself um, that are working in this field, as well as engineers and scientists, about the opportunities that exist for people that want to work on coastal issues across disciplines and across fields. And certainly, as you just said, that includes lawyers. So, I mean, are you seeing more interest in kind of some of the, your students in these issues? And is Louisiana, you know, as it is kind of in its master plan, um, setting precedents or kind of are people looking to Louisiana and how we're handling these issues to inform, you know, what might happen in Virginia or other coastal areas being affected by climate change? I think the short answer is yes. Um, I wish there were more jobs for my, my students, you know, 
but that'll come. Yeah, we're working on it. <laughs> but I also think that, you know, you know, for example, if it had not been for, you know, um, you know, citizens and, you know, changing laws in the 80s and 90s, which created the foundation for all of our coastal program right now, there would be no master plan today. And had there been no master plan, I'm absolutely convinced there would have been no, you know, happy, you know, outcome at all for where the funds from the Deepwater Horizon would go. They were destined by law to go into the general funds, you know, general treasury. We had to change law. And the fact that we had done the work here in Louisiana to do the planning and the civics to give people confidence that it wasn't all going to get hijacked and it, uh, that's that had a huge influence so that these things build on one another and i don't think that would have been the case you know you know 30 years ago and i don't think it would have been the case in any number of other states hmm. well and it is so important and certainly something that you know i know your your organization as well as ours we pay a close attention to the funds and ensuring that they're protected for the right purpose. Uh, we also need to get more funds, as I know you all have worked to identify. Um, we're about to head into a break, but would love to uh, have you around for another segment. As I said, we're only scratching the surface, so I think you're going to have to come back. Um, you're listening to Delta Dispatches on WGSO 990 AM, always available online, deltadispatches.org. We'll be right back after the break. Show your support for Restoring Coastal Louisiana at Cookoff for the Coast, Saturday, February 9th from 2 to 6 p.m. Head to Dockville Farm in Violet to enjoy local cook-off teams preparing dishes of wild game from our coastal wetlands and try their creative spins on their wild game dishes. It's free with cash bar, kids' activities, and music by the Michaud Melody Makers. Proceeds go to coastal restoration work in St. Bernard, so come on out to Cookoff for the Coast on February 9th and visit Cookoff for the Coast on Facebook for more information. Hi, I'm Don Cheadle. Listen up. I want to talk to you about something important, the Environmental Defense Fund. EDF isn't like some of the other environmental groups. EDF works together with those on both sides of the issue. Despite all the fighting in Washington, EDF has found ways for both parties to support real progress. That has made our air and water cleaner and the products in our homes safer. So not only can our planet prosper, so can our future. Go to edf.org to see how you can help. At Audubon, we believe that where birds thrive, people prosper. Nowhere is that more evident than in Louisiana. Integrating science, education, and policy, Audubon, Louisiana's mission is to conserve and restore natural ecosystems, focusing on birds, other wildlife, and their habitats for the benefit of humanity and the Earth's biological diversity. Visit la.audubon.org to learn more and support our mission. la.audubon.org. Restore or Retreat is a coastal nonprofit organization working in the heart of the Barataria and Terrebonne Basins, from the Mississippi River to the Atchafalaya. We work every day to restore Louisiana's coast community and culture with our mission of implementing long-term and large-scale projects for our irreplaceable region. We'll hope you join us in supporting the solution. Check us out on Twitter, Facebook, and online at www.restoreorretreat.org. And we're back. You're listening to Delta Dispatches on WGSO 990 AM. We're discussing Louisiana's coast, its people, wildlife, and jobs, and why restoring it matters. I'm Jacques Hebert with Audubon, Louisiana. We have a little tradition on the show. It's called the fun question. Um, so 
you know, carnival season is approaching, officially underway. Um, I don't know how many pieces of king cake you've had, but I've had far too many too early for Mardi Gras being in March. But um, I guess, fun question, what is your favorite parade? Well, I've uh, I've been lucky enough to, to be able to, to participate in a good number of parades. Um, and last year I got to be in Zulu. Um, I got to dance in Zulu. And uh, it was a special, pretty special, uh, special morning. Um, it was uh, it was different getting to dance Mardi Gras day. Yeah, you got to get it pretty early for that, huh, Chris? Oh yeah, and that was actually that that really started off the morning. We uh, we met up you over from the night before into the morning. <laughs> we did not, you know. Um, we've done we've done uh, Orpheus for a bunch of years, um, and, and we'll be doing Orpheus again this year. And uh, then there was talk about doing Zulu, and and every once in a while somebody would put out the you know genius idea of we'll just do Orpheus and then just stay out all night and then do Zulu the <laughs> next morning but uh no uh but it was beautiful actually we uh we met up like pre-dawn at the fairgrounds and like the horses were out for morning jogs and it was foggy and beautiful um and so uh Zulu was really special and if I hadn't had that Zulu experience last year my answer would probably be uh crew de wow and, and so Chris are you uh Stomper, yeah, or yeah, yeah. nice. Oh, Look at that. that. You're nice. the second stomper we've had on the show. Well, I know we have a tradition of stompers on the show. Who's the first? Um, uh, with Ottoman Golf, and st- yes, yeah, yeah. Oh, fun. you had Fallon on here. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna. That's a problem. <laughs> and I have, I have some friends. Are you, that... I am. All right. You know what? I didn't, I didn't care that you hadn't had me on here for so long, <laughs> but you let John Fallon Uh-oh. on before me. <laughs> All stompers are welcome, especially uh-huh. especially Ricky. We, we have to space y'all out a little bit too. Yeah, are, well, are a lot of, to have in 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 one. John's gonna hear about this. I was best man in John's wedding. I'm gonna. Oh, he's got to hear. He's gonna hear about this. I'm sorry, I'm not there to see if you're growing your mustache out, huh? Mm, it's it's a, it's an it's on its way. <laughs> so, Mark, we gave you plenty of time, plenty of time to think of an answer to the question. Well, um, I keep hoping I'll be a page and Rex, and it will give me a perspective I haven't had. You should but, talk to King. Well, I, you know, I keep dropping hints. Um, but I'm, uh, I'm also a Zulu guy. I mean, uh, and my second favorite is Toth. But we catch Zulu up on uh, Jackson and Ferret, and it's, it's, just, you know, it's just magic up there. Do you have a collection of coconuts? Yes, I do. Nice. And, uh, and they're a whole lot easier to get up there, I can tell <laughs> yeah. you that. And then my next thing, what we tend to do after that is we head down um, into Treme and hang out with the Indians and the uh, you know, Skull and Bones crew at the Backstreet Culture Museum, which that's a pretty special way to spend a day. Oh, yeah. That, that sounds like an amazing Mardi Gras to me. Well, I'm a little partial to Iris and Bacchus for certain reasons, but we did, we did bring up King Milling, uh, Mr. Rex himself. He's on your board of external advisors, right, for the Institute and some other familiar names, Jim Tripp and Susan Kenderka, right? Um, so you, you yeah. have a lot of friends on, that surround the Institute, too, right? Well, that's true. The Institute is not just Chris and me. We, we, we channel other people's wisdom and advice and occasionally, you know, take it. But King Millen was just hanging out. We finally let him in. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, hey, that, that dude's up to no good. Let, me, let us give him a safe place to spend some time. It's, it's a civic responsibility. <laughs> so, y'all, um, I saw that y'all put out a communication, too, just today. Uh, y'all put out waterways. Is that right? Yep. And y'all are looking for people. 
Uh, we are. We've got. We started up uh, several years ago a uh, postgraduate research uh, fellow program, um, and uh, we have people who've just graduated law school join us for uh, a year or two and um, really try to uh, squeeze as much work out of them as we can in the twelve to twenty-four months. That's right. And 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 and, and Simone, I'm, I'm sure that you know there's a place at Restore Retreat for a really smart. You know, yeah, cracker I'm, jack trained coastal lawyer. Y'all had Lindsay Cooper, and she's amazing. So mm-hmm. I would love to steal that girl, but I think somebody got to her first. Yeah, I think uh, <laughs> Chip Klein. <laughs> nah, other avid listener Chip Klein got to her. <laughs> so you mentioned it, but I, I, I don't want to undersell it. Tulane Waterways is your newsletter. And Chris, we were talking about this before the show. How many uh, uh, articles have there been, or how many um, issues? So there's been uh, about 325, I think. It started. It actually started at the same time as the postgrad fellow program, which would have been summer of 2012. And I mean, it is humorous. It is informative. Uh, I, you you missed this, Simone, because you weren't at the Restore America's Estuaries conference. But there's an amazing movie-like poster that just has quotes from all sorts of individuals praising. Uh, the the newsletter. So, give us a little bit of background in terms of what people can expect to see in their inboxes, and where can they go to subscribe? Well, we uh, we try to keep it something that people would want to read, uh, and the benefit for us to that is it also keeps it something that we don't mind writing every single week. As I said, for three hundred and twenty five weeks in a row, um, it's just a page or two, uh, and it is about water news and just trying to get people to think about water and, and of course, related coastal and climate issues. Um, and maybe in ways that they wouldn't think otherwise or people who don't necessarily think about water all day long the way we do. Um, and so we cover everything from, you know, the goings-on at CPRA meetings to discoveries of, you know, water in the poles on Mars. Um, we try and, and just kind of look at, at this wide range of of ways that, that water uh, can touch our lives. So I saw that y'all also list events coming up. I think that's really helpful. My, my husband is actually a Tulane Law grad, and so I, I sent that to him and I said, here, here's a list of all the things happening. So I, I like that you did that as well. I appreciate that. Y'all didn't cover, though, that y'all were at the CPRA board meeting yesterday. Oh, wait, before we say that, I want to go ahead and say, if you want to sign up for Waterways, oh, yeah. go to our, our website, uh, TulaneWater.org. TulaneWater.org. Well, yes, uh, uh, we were going to do a special you know, um, you know, commemorative issue of Waterways next week, summarizing my testimony before the CPRA. Uh, I'll have to get a signed copy of that. Oh, yeah, it can be arranged. It Good can luck. be arranged. Uh, no, yesterday uh, the CPRA uh, was um, uh, ha- had a piece on the agenda. They issued a rule, a proposed rule, uh, back in December. And you know, CPRA doesn't do a whole lot of rulemaking. This was make the first time they've ever done it. But you know, Simone, I don't know if you remember way back in 2006. You know, working with Reggie Dupree, then state senator, uh, the legislature passed a, a law saying. Maybe we should find a way to get you know coastal landowners and you know the charitable community together with the state to find ways of doing uh, you know, making land ownership work better with the coast. And these rules are designed to help do that. So we'll do a whole show on that. Yeah, we will definitely have to have you back. I can't believe you know two segments in, and again, so much more to talk about. 
Um, but we appreciate your coming on. This will be the first time, but certainly not the last. Um, Mark Davis and Chris Album with Tulane Water Institute on Lawn Policy. Thank you so much. TulaneWater.org. Check it out. Go subscribe to their newsletter. Um, and we'll be, be right back after the break. You're listening to Delta Dispatches on WGSO 990 AM. Show your support for Restoring Coastal Louisiana at Cookoff for the Coast, Saturday, February 9th from 2 to 6 p.m. Head to Dockville Farm in Violet to enjoy local cook-off teams preparing dishes of wild game from our coastal wetlands and try their creative spins on their wild game dishes. It's free with cash bar, kids' activities, and music by the Michaud Melody Makers. Proceeds go to coastal restoration work in St. Bernard, so come on out to Cook-Off for the Coast on February 9th and visit Cook-Off for the Coast on Facebook for more information. And we're back. You're listening to Delta Dispatches. We're discussing Louisiana's coast, its people, wildlife, and jobs, and why restoring it matters. I'm Jacques Hebert with Audubon, Louisiana. And I'm Samoma Laws with Restore or Retreat. And, and you have, know what time it is. Uh, I have the Coastal Stat of the Week. Uh-oh. Uh-huh. According to Dr. Alicia Renfro, the Mississippi River is currently flowing at gas shock. Um, How many cubic feet per second? 200? 1 million <gasps> cubic feet per second. 1 million. That amount is equivalent to 11 Niagara Falls. With that flow comes sediment that is vital to restoring Louisiana's wetlands. To study that river and sediment, one year ago, the LSU Center for River Studies opened. It features the Lower Mississippi River Physical Model, a 90-foot by 120-foot or 10,800 square foot movable physical bed model, one of the largest of its kind in the world, and it is made up of 216 panels. How about that? That's pretty cool. Well, you know, whenever the river's high, as it has been, you know, very often, and I know there have been record Bonnie Carey spillway openings, I mean, you see in the satellite imagery, go to Google Earth right now and look at the satellite imagery of the river, and you just see the sediment spilling out of the Gulf. You know, if they open the spillway into the Lake Pontchartrain Basin or Lake Pontchartrain, um, you know, we've done a lot of communications around that. And the fact that this is just a great reminder that we need that sediment, you know, to go into wetlands. We don't need it to go into the Gulf of Mexico or into Lake Pontchartrain. So there are a lot of really great um, blogs and uh, opinion pieces that were written last year when they opened the spillway, kind of explaining how... And more to come, right? More to come. We'll have to keep a, a close eye on what happens. Alicia is great. We've had her on the show so many times. I think that, um, you know, she does an exceptional job of relating it, right? What is one million cubic feet per cent? What does that even mean? Um, but to equate it to 11 Niagara Falls like that, that really puts it in perspective. I know I know she's crunched some numbers on sediment and Mardi Gras beads and other fun things like that. And so um, it just allows us a teachable moment to talk to folks about what resources we have here in Louisiana. Um, and shout out to our friends Clint Wilson and Rudy Simino and Joseph and all them at the Center for River Studies that do a great job of also having those teachable moments using the Lower Mississippi River physical model. So um, both fun things and, and a great coastal stat of the week. Yeah, well, uh, you know, I can't let this episode go by without saying, man, I'm jealous of you. You were in the Superdome last Sunday to see the Saints take on, um, you know, their opponent. And 
you know, I know it must have been tough to get through that first quarter, but the rest of the game was, what was it? It was so much fun. We, you know, went down there not expecting to go to the game. And, and um, as New Orleans goes, it, it, it just got super fun for the rest of the day. Ended up going to the game. It, it definitely had a Mardi Gras feel out there. People were walking in the streets and high-fiving the policemen. And it was so, so much fun. Um, except I, I had taken a little restroom break. And um, they threw that, um, you know, the Saints caught the first interception. So all of my friends were like, nope. Yep. <laughs> you can not go back to your seat <laughs> mm-hmm. i had a so, friend that walked in the other room to get i don't know like another glass of wine i was like you can't come back no 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 so um uh, i was allowed to leave at halftime eventually um but it was so much fun and it, it's just i love when when new orleans like i said people in the street we just had so much fun and everybody was having a really great time and i hope that this sunday is no different it'll be my 40th birthday <gasps> wish for the saints oh, to win you are 40 years young. You think Drew will let me have one of his um, 40th surprise party hats? You think he'll let me borrow that? Maybe. Maybe, you know, we should have a special joint 40th for you and yeah. Drew. Yes. Yeah, yes. Yes, yeah. indeed. <laughs> but it, that's kind of um, the way Sunday started is kind of how the whole week went. It's been a crazy busy week. You were out of town for a couple of days. Um, we were in Baton Rouge, and so they just had so much going on this week. Yeah. Mark mentioned it. They had a um, monthly CPRA board meeting with a really packed agenda. Um, but um, the tone was set from the very beginning um, with current chairman Chip Klein. He um, just opened it with a solid discussion, uh, and, and he had some personal privilege. And um, he talked about, you know, about us recommitting ourselves to the coast, um, and, and that what we're doing uh, is, you know, will have an impact for the ages, and this is for our children and grandchildren. Um, and so it just really set the tone, but, man, they just really had an action pack. Yeah, I mean, I, I know we talked a little bit about it in the prior show, but, um, you know, there was the presentation of the annual plan, correct? Yeah, definitely. So um, the executive director of CPRA actually kicked it off with a look back to 2018, a quarterly report talking about the work that's being done. Um, And then they did look forward to that annual plan. And Deputy Director Brent Haas, who we had on the show last week, um, was talking about um, a couple of different um, uh, projects that were in the master plan and and mostly talking about some of the work um, that they were looking forward to doing. And in Uh, The fiscal year 2020, which um, just means, um, you know, the next year that the state's looking forward to, they're thinking of um, their plan is to spend $783 million. Um, And that's that's $505 million in construction alone, $141 million in design and engineering. And, I mean, that's really putting, you know, the shovel in the ground and getting some work done. Yeah, and I mean, of course, they announced that they'll be hosting um, public meetings across the state for that. So the first one is in Lake Charles, correct? That's right. The first one will be uh, on the 29th in Lake Charles at their Civic Center. Uh, The next night uh, on the 30th, it'll be in New Orleans at the Lakefront Airport. Um, Beautiful, beautiful Mm -hmm. venue for that. Uh, And then the following night, they'll wrap up in Homa, shout out, at the Civic Center. They also announced that they're going to have 
two Atchafalaya meetings, um, which now is, is under CPRA's purview in a, in a more meaningful way, and that will be February 5th at Bayou Sorrel and February 6th in Henderson. Um, so they, you can go on their Facebook page, and they have events created featuring our Restore Retreat's very own Victoria's pictures. I saw that. She's center. famous. Yeah, um, but also don't forget you can find um, more information about the calendar and the presentations that were made at the meeting on CPRA's website at coastal.la.gov. Um, that is also where you can find the annual plans. Uh, annual plan they will be uh, taking comments, I think, until March first. Um, but get them in early. They want to read them early. So um, that was just one of the things they talked about. Um, Mark Davis uh, briefly mentioned it. They talked about a pretty, pretty complicated thing here in Louisiana with land rights. And so um, that information was brought up. Think about what Mark said. They, they first started talking about this issue in 2006. Um, and that was probably, you know, a little post-Katrina and Rita talking about that. But that's how complicated things can get here in Louisiana. Um, Dr. Willie was there to talk about the National Estuarine Research Reserve, um, something uh, for the Mississippi River Delta. Uh, but something else was talked about, um, about the restoration of Queen Bess Island. Oh, yeah. Uh, I know that's something that you have an interest in as well. Yeah, I mean, so this is a key rookery nesting island uh, a little bit north of Grand Isle um, for brown pelicans. And actually, Louisiana Department of Wildlife and Fisheries celebrated this year the 50th anniversary of the reintroduction of the brown pelican to Louisiana. Many folks, you know, you see them all over now. And many folks, um, you know, don't remember how close we were to kind of completely wiping them out across Louisiana. In fact, almost doing that until we reintroduced population from Florida. So um, it is a, a very important project for brown pelicans and it's up for funding. And there's a public comment period that's currently open, I believe, until the 22nd um, on that project. Yeah, they, they had to extend the deadline a little bit because they actually had a little bit of uh, shutdown interference with mm. the government. Um, but there was a really beautiful um, uh, video showed uh, yesterday at the meeting. But really, Todd Baker from Wildlife and Fisheries and Katie Freer from CPRA just did a really great job um, of kind of talking about that project and, and what it means um, to addressing an injury that occurred during the oil spill. And so I think that's a project uh, um, that we're looking forward to its success and, and looking forward to following it along the way for sure. Um, they did have a, a update on the sediment diversion program and, and lots of things there, and hopefully we'll have a guest on at the end of the show to talk about that a little bit more. But just a reminder that you can find all of the annual plan information as well as those presentations and their upcoming um, events on their webpage at coastal.la.gov. Um, I think we talked about this before, too, the um, CPRA is soliciting project ideas for their mm -hmm. master plan. It's really hard to believe that that is even um, in our in our line of sight, but um, that just goes to show you how early they work on that. And I thought Brent did a really great job of talking about, you know, why they work on it and why the update is needed. Um, but Restore Retreat is actually going to host a, a workshop to help folks that might be interested in um, submitting a project or might have an idea. Uh, we're going to host that in Homa. And so hopefully that will be something that we can talk about uh, in future shows. We yeah, that sounds that good. Beginning of February. Yeah, well, we'll definitely have to update folks and encourage them to come. Um, we have one more segment before we close out this show. And I know you have a, a very fun and fancy event to get to tonight. So I don't want to keep you from it. Um, but I promise we'll end on time. 
Um, if you're listening, you can listen always online at deltadispatches.org. Go online, like us, subscribe us. Um, and we'll be right back after the break. And we're back. You're listening to Delta Dispatches on WGSO 990 AM. We're discussing Louisiana's coast, its people, wildlife, and jobs, and why restoring it matters. I'm Jacques Bear with Audubon, Louisiana. And I'm Simone Laws with Restore or Retreat. And I'm so excited to have back our first guest, who's now becoming a frequent guest on the show, Steve Cochran, Campaign Director with Restore the Mississippi River Delta. How are you, Steve? Uh, Jacques, Jacques, you have to call him uh, one of Louisiana Life's <gasps> Louisianians of the Year. That is right. We've had a title change since the last your last appearance, Steve. It's kind of long. Maybe Steve will help us shorten that a little bit. <laughs> well, I, we're honored to have one of the Louisianans of the year on the show. Congratulate, first of all, well deserved, but also congratulations on that honor and recognition, Steve. I always, always thought really highly of that magazine, and clearly they lowered their standards. So <laughs> <laughs> it is a beautiful Very magazine. Nice it always has Very been. Nice. Um, well, congratulations on that honor. You're very deserving. So, how's your year going so far? How's hey, it going, we're doing Steve? well. <laughs> how's it going? Exactly. I think we're doing well. It's a good start. Yeah. We're... You were at the CPRA board meeting yesterday. It was action packed. It really was. It was. It was. Uh, it was encouraging, and uh, and I think people were very, very engaged and enthusiastic, which is always important to do. But a lot of big things going on too. So, yeah, really good. And I mentioned it, too, that, you know, Chip Klein just kind of kicked it off and set the tone for the whole thing. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, you know, I was really, I mean, it really was, I, you know, I hate to use the word inspiring because, uh, you know, Chip will it'll, it'll go to his head. But it really was. <laughs> it was great. Uh, it was really well done. And, and uh, I thought he, he did a great job of uh, laying out the sense of urgency that, uh, that we all have and, and that we need uh, to continue. I thought he did a great job of thanking the staff. Uh, for how hard they've been working and how much success they've been having in very difficult situations. So I, I thought he did a great job. It was a really, really great way to start the discussions for this year. So, Steve, there was also an update um, from Brad Barth on, I know we talk a lot about the Mid-Baratarius sediment diversion, but also as critically important on the East Bank, um, you know, is the Mid-Breton sediment diversion. So um, what did Brad talk about and kind of what's the latest with that key project? Yeah, I mean it's it's uh, it's great to see. You know, we talk a lot about the the benefits of using the river and the sediment in the river, um, and so uh, we've we've had a lot of those conversations about one project in particular. So it's great for that project to be moving forward. But now we're also beginning to talk about another one. In this case, Mid Breton, as you said, on the east side, uh, just a little down down below New Orleans. Um, and the discussion yesterday not only laid out. Um, at, a, at a really interesting level of detail, the science involved with getting sediment um, from the from the sandbars and from the river, and, and making sure that uh, that they're organized to be able to really do that well. But also, um, what they found as they've done those studies, as they've tried to learn the most about it, is that they needed to expand their um, their approach and consider. Uh, instead of uh, just uh, they've been looking at uh, how big the flow would be, and they were initially looking at about 35,000 cubic feet per second. Um, but now they're, uh, they want to expand and look bigger than that, um, up to 75,000 cubic feet per second, which is, um, which is a result of them seeing 
that in order to maximize the amount of sediment and the benefits associated with it, which is, after all, what we're trying to do is it's about those benefits, about that land building, that they really got tremendous benefits um, in some of the initial work they did by looking at that bigger number. And so they're going to really dig in on that. And I just think they're, they're doing what they said they would do, which is to follow the science, see what it tells them, and then try to make sure that these things are as efficient and effective as they can be. So it's really encouraging to see them approaching it that way. So, Steve, in short, you know, more land, right? Greater potential maybe is a better way to say that, right? That's what I should have said. That's <laughs> no. <laughs> I was always the Cliff Notes girl in, in high school anyway. But, you know, we, we just want people to know, too, this is part of a process, right? But this was guided by science. Well, that was it. Was it was it was driven by science? I mean, driven really, by science. They they were looking at what uh, and what and what the, the system was doing and how it was operating based on the analysis that they were doing. They showed actually some really fun, um, looked like little submarines and things that they were using. I mean, they're not mm-hmm. exactly submarines, but they're some cool high, tools. <laughs> it was very cool. It's a very high end science, um, and 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 they're and they're actually paying attention to it and, and learning from it and saying, you know what. The way we're approaching this, we need to expand the way we're thinking about it based on what we're learning. So that's a, that's a good place to be. And yeah. our organizations put out a statement afterwards, kind of you know uh, echoing what you just said, Steve, in terms of you know the decision by CPRA to increase the scale of study of the Mid Breton sediment diversion will better position the state to ultimately build more coastal wetlands that will buffer our communities from storm surge and rising seas. Exactly what Louisiana needs. The decision demonstrates that CPRA is being guided by the best science and modeling to confront the on-the-ground realities of our disappearing coast. Yeah, I think it also think shows that, that the state's flexible, right, or, or that it's adapting to projects. And I, and I think that's right. I also uh, would uh, add one thing, which is uh, the other thing that the state has going forward now is an adaptation uh, working group to really look at um, what what all these changes that are going on along the coast um, with with uh, sinking land and sea level rise and and some of these large projects that that will have their own impacts they're looking at how to do how to manage that what what does that mean for fishers what does that mean for the various um, parts of the community there that, that are dependent on fishers. They really have an adaptation work group underway looking at that as well. So these things are going forward at the same time, again, trying to learn as much as possible and make sure that they're doing the very best job they can for everybody. Um, uh, it's not just about land building. That's essential, obviously, for for us to be able to do what we want to do, live and in, in, uh, in work and play here. But, um, but we need to make sure that that applies to everybody and the state's moving in that direction too, which is really encouraging. So, spoiler alert, they made that presentation, which was a really, really great presentation, I think, uh, in December about the fisheries uh, working groups. Uh, I think they will uh, hopefully present again to the Governor's Advisory Commission. Um, I think there's a couple of new members on that board, but it was just really great to hear that, and that Advisory Commission is a really diverse group, and so uh, mm-hmm. I think it was a great suggestion for them to, to hear that again. Um, to hear that it's a work in progress, but to hear their update on the work so far, I, re- I really do. Um, I was very impressed by the presentation, and it was um, done by a couple of different folks in partnership. So I think that added, you know, some strength to the presentation as well. So uh, that cool. would that presentation would be available online on the CPRA's website, but um, the next meeting of the commission is February 6th as well. So I can't believe we're almost out of time for another show, but you know, Steve, I I will let you know that Mark, when Mark Davis was here, I gave him the option of 
coming up with your fun question and he opted to be nice and, and not do that. So <laughs> we're going to have to go with the default fun question, which is what is your favorite type of king cake? <laughs> I'm, I'm stunned that Mark Davis made that choice. <laughs> it makes me nervous. I think you might have something else going on here. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe you offered it as an option. <laughs> um, yeah, well, I actually... Um, have taken a step beyond traditional king cake, and, and I've really kind of gone to the, the, the trying out the ones that have a little more moisture in them. Um, I know I'm in trouble with some people for that, but, um, you know. Just, as uh, long as maybe. you don't say savory, which is not a king cake, Steve. <laughs> not a king cake. cake. It's not a king cake. <laughs> what do you mean? You don't like crawfish in your king cake, Simone? Oh, oh, the Muvalata one. I'm like, that, and, this, and, and Twitter handles it on its own, right? That is not a king cake, people. <laughs> All right. Well, you know, we'll have to continue this debate on another show because we've got another, like, month and a half of carnival season. So, Simone, have a great uh, reception tonight. And, Steve, have a great evening. Thank you, as always, for being on. And for our listeners, thank you for listening. Go online, deltadispatches.org. We'll see you next time. Bye, everybody. Bye-bye.